His name was Swim Jim. He had an interesting name. He was a, a swimming instructor that we hired to teach our kids how to swim in San Antonio. He had an interesting method. He would take your kid and throw them into the deep end. And he had kind of a sink or swim mentality with the way that he taught. I have to admit, as a parent, it was a little bit startling at first. Not, not sort of taking it slow, easing into the shallow end, just jumping right in. For some reason, that was the image that I had as I thought about this passage and where all of us are this morning. I don't know about you, but what's, what's preoccupied, what's on the, the forefront of my mind is not the fact that the Apostle Paul was in prison. I'm thinking about finding the lowest places to buy gas right now. You might be thinking about, I got to figure out what my kid's summer schedule is going to be. I found myself thinking about those things. And, I, and yet, while those things are important, we're, we're getting thrown into the deep end here. Paul is writing a letter in Rome, from Rome while he is physically chained to a Roman soldier. And this is what he has to say to us today, this summer. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. But notice this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But listen to what Paul says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, these words are true. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are for us, and we need it. And I, I'm staggered by the words. I long to be a man that can say that. We long to be a church that can say that. We need your grace to be able to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. your God is so good, why didn't I get the job? If your God is so good, why am I unmarried? If your God is so good, why did I lose my son? If your God is so good, why did my mom leave? When we're facing hardships of any kind, little things or big things, it's understandable to ask the why question. This real why question was posed to a Christian who was imprisoned in another country for his faith. His captor asked him this, If your God is so good, why are you in this prison camp? I love the, the Christian's response to his captor. Well, if my God were not good, why would he send me to tell you about him? Paul is now in prison in Rome, physically chained to a Roman soldier. He's under house arrest. 
He had been beaten. He had been tortured. He had been shipwrecked multiple times by this time. He had been bitten by a snake on a, on, a, on a deserted island. He's now chained. You can imagine Paul's foes. If your God is so good, Paul, why are you in prison? Paul writes to this supporting church in the town of Philippi in Europe. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wait, how, Paul? You're in a house. You're chained to a guy all day long. How is that advancing the gospel? It's because God wants us to see. Because of God's power, not even our circumstances and our fears can stop the gospel of grace. I don't know what fears you're experiencing. I don't know what your circumstances are, but they're no match for the advancement of God's grace. We see hard things and we assume that God has abandoned us. He's on a coffee break. He doesn't care about me or he's weak. He's not powerful. We need eyes of faith to be able to say God is still at work, even in the hard times. Where do we see God's power at work in these verses in the hard times? Two very, very brief points. First, I want you to see the power of his providence. Look at verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read 12 through 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. God put him in prison to tell people about Jesus. Prisons aren't fun. They're not comfortable. That's called a mystery. The fancy word that, that uh, church history theology people use is called providence. The church, the Christian brothers and sisters who have gone long before us have succinctly defined it this way. Multiple evangelical denominations would hold to this. God's providence is his most holy wise, powerful, and preserving all of his creatures and all of their actions. This is more than simply God knowing about the future. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 10, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from the will of your father. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, this is more than knowledge. This is God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. But isn't the life of Paul kind of a picture of God's providence? He's in prison and he's reminding us that what has happened to him has actually advancing the gospel. I admit, I have a hard time with this, and yet it's all over the Bible. I have a hard time remembering Metaphorically speaking, that we're all like little frayed pieces of a thread and we feel like we're about to fall apart some days and we don't know if we can hold it together. And that God is weaving us together into a beautiful tapestry, a priceless piece of art that amplifies his beauty, his power and his strength. But at the time, each loop, each movement feels so painful, doesn't it? Paul had been wounded physically, not like pretend wounds, like real wounds. He had really been wounded relationally. Everyone abandoned him. Everyone assumed you're in prison. God must not be working through you. There's people that are envious of him for preaching the gospel. People who want to take from him. He had been hurt. 
And yet the gospel has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We find out later in chapter 4, verse 22, Paul does a little parting shot. He says, hey, and also Caesar's household says, hey. (laughs) He's saying, even though you sent me to Rome to snuff out Christianity and to snuff out Jesus, you put me right in the center. So day in and day out, I've got a captive audience. Every Roman soldier, I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. Who's in the center of Rome? Oh, I don't know. The people that make policies and decisions on taxes and roads and government. Those who are enemies of the gospel have said, let's get rid of Paul. Let's send him to Rome. And like like trying to get rid of a spark by stomping on it, it's spreading out wider and wider and wider. I forget this. But it's all over the Bible. Do you remember the story of Joseph? His own brothers tried to kill him. They leave him in like a pit. And then later through these amazing actions, here he is, he's a ruler, an authority figure in Egypt. And his brothers, who know they're in bad shape, are standing before Joseph. Do you remember what Joseph says to them? This is God's word. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Jesus was betrayed and abandoned and falsely accused and imprisoned. Standing before Pilate, he says this in John 19, you could do nothing unless the authority had been granted to you from above. You meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. It's so hard for me to get my heart around this mystery that God is at work through evil things. We need to call evil what it is. And yet... God uses evil things to accomplish his plan because God's providence is his most holy, wise, powerful, and preserving all of his creatures and all of their actions. Due to persecution, the early church grew. Do you know that even now, that uh, in the early 2000s, there was persecution from a terrorist group called ISIS And these Shia Muslims were driven from their homes by other Muslims. And that is evil. It's terrible. It's not okay, even though they're from a different religion. No one should be treated like that. It's evil. And God is doing amazing things through this evil displacement. In Christianity Today, I read that in Germany, this was years ago, over 2,000 Muslims became Christians during an 18-month period. In Switzerland, over 1,000 baptisms took place among Afghans and Kurds. One Baptist denomination reported that 80% of the conversions of Muslims to Christ in the known world have occurred after 9-11. We're coming up on 21 years. Evil stuff. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. We can't lose hope. We feel the decline of Christianity in the West... Has the gospel lost its power? Well, obviously, we should be sorrowful. At the same time, do you know that the gospel is exploding? It's not exploding in the West. It's exploding in Africa and South America and Asia, which is now the center of global Christianity. This advancement is largely because of persecution and hardship. Did you catch that Paul is saying this has actually created Christians to be more bold. Seeing Paul in prison makes them even bolder. 
This is so hard for me to hold on to. I'm not saying this is easy, friends. But what I am saying is it's biblical. What are we going to do with this? That God is at work in the hard times through his providence. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. But secondly, and very briefly, let's look at the power in proclamation. Not only the power in providence, but the power in proclamation. Look at verses 15 through 18. Some people are proclaiming Christ out of good motives and other out of bad motives. I don't even know what that looks like. What does it mean to proclaim Christ and the other Christians are trying to bring you down? I guess it must be something like they want more people than Paul. Maybe they want to have bigger churches. Maybe they, do, they want more notoriety. Maybe there was actually a celebrity culture back then. I don't know. But they want Paul to fail, and that has no place in the Christian church. Paul is saying, it, but I don't really care who's preaching the gospel. I don't really care how they preach the gospel. I don't even care why they're preaching the gospel. What matters is that the gospel is preached. I don't want people to remember me. I don't want people to remember Grace Presbyterian Church. I don't want people to remember your small group or your Sunday school class. Let's just preach the gospel. Let's just proclaim the gospel in our relationships and let God handle the rest. Because the power is not in the messenger, but in the message, that's why we can keep doing it. And that must be proclaimed. But Paul knew a thing or two about the power of God's word. Paul, we forget, was a Christian killer. He persecuted the early church. He thought they had it all wrong. This Jesus figure, there's no way he's the long-awaited Messiah. But when he was confronted with Jesus and his words, they had the power to change even the most hardened enemy of the cross. There's, that's good news for us, isn't it? Some of us feel like, Justin, I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't feel qualified to talk to my friends or my neighbors. I, I'm not an evangelist. Okay, evangelism is one thing. Let's just talk about building relationships with the people around us. Just loving them, being curious. You can start where you are. God has given all of us abilities and opportunities. It's not about your strength. It's not about your competency. It's not about your skills. It's about the power of God's grace. I love what one English preacher named Spurgeon said. He said, Scripture is like a lion. Whoever heard of defending a lion, just turn it loose and it will defend itself. We need to hear this over and over again because I can tend to get really perfectionistic with how, how was that Bible study? How was that session meeting? How was that sermon? How was that conversation? I'm like, this is all about me. This is all about how I sound. It's not about us. It's about God's grace. It's about us being a blessing to our community where God has sovereignly put us for his glory, not our glory. We are all Christians because God has rescued us, has opened our hearts to believe. He's given us spiritual life. He's given us the true joy in the midst of hardship. This is so hard. But my hope and prayer is that we walk out of here, we can on one hand say, this is so hard, God. What I'm going through is really hard. And at the same time say, you know what, though? I'm still going to trust you. I'm not going to live by my circumstances. I'm not going to come to conclusions about your character and your track record based upon what I see with my own two eyes. 
I'm going to trust that there are things going on behind the scenes that you are at work even amidst the hardship. Many of you, I'm going to close with this story, might be familiar with two Christians named Ridley and Latimer from the late 1500s in England. They're from the Oxford, England area. And they were two people that stood up for the gospel of grace and it cost them everything. They said, I'm not going to put up with this mumbo jumbo that you're saved by grace and your works. There's no way. It's sovereign, pure, 100% all in grace. He does all the work. We only contribute our sin. And they burned them alive for saying that. I want you to listen to the conversation that Ridley and Latimer said to each other while they're lighting fire and they died for their faith. Ridley was the first to strengthen his friend during this trial. He said, be of good heart, brother. For God will either assuage the fury of the flame or else strengthen us to abide it. As the bundle of sticks caught fire beneath them, Latimer turned to Ridley loudly. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Do you realize that we are sitting here as beneficiaries of that candle that was lit in Oxford, England? The only way that we can stand, you look at that, you're like, I, I could never do that. The only way that we can stand is by looking to God's grace. The power is not in the messenger, but it's in the message that Jesus Christ can change anyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God that is living and active, sharper than any and every two-edged sword. Lord, we need you and we are weak. We pray that you would feed us even now, not only through the word of God, but through the sacrament as we look to you by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.